He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I will once again be your host. I'm joined by the rest of the Munson's. Want to give them a wide berth. He's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in their worlds. Case, we'll start with you this time. My world was, was turned upside down over the weekend. First, I learned that scientists are predicting f- massive flooding within the next decade because the moon is wobbling. I don't know what that means, but it's alarming. Second, I was having dinner with uh, my buddy and his fiance over the weekend, and we got to talk about movies. And am I the only person that's shocked that all three Lord of the Rings movies are in the top 15 IMDb rankings? No. Because that, that floored me. Return of the King is 7th, Fellowship of the Ring is 10, and The Two Towers is 14. That movie never got a fair shake with me because one of my friends was obsessed with it and he is an unbearable movie-going experience to sit next to. And so I I saw the first one and he ruined every twist and turn a moment before they happened. And I was like, all right, I'll see the second one. But if you do it again, I'm not seeing the third one. And sure enough, he did it again. So I've actually never really watched them and given them like the respect they deserve because my friend truly ruined it for me. You're not talking about Kyle, are you? Well, I mean, I don't want to point fingers, but... <laughs> Love Lord listen. of the Rings. <laughs> Lord of the Rings. And maybe you could pick up the positivity from our negativity that Craig just brought us, James. Last pod, you guys heard I was leaving at 5 a.m. Uh, I'd go to a wedding in Costa Rica. I am officially back. It is hard to adjust, but it was absolutely gorgeous. And I learned a lot of Costa Rica facts, like they're the number two exporter of bananas in the Western Hemisphere, only behind Ecuador. Congratulations. To which I say, fuck Ecuador. (laughs) Scandalous. (laughs) The sun sets at the same time for 365 days a year because you're on the equator. So no matter what the tilt happens, since they're directly on the equator, it is the sun sets at the exact same time every day. Blew my mind as well. I do want to make it clear to listeners that we are a pro-Costa Rican podcast, not necessarily an anti-Ecuador podcast. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, I just, I've had the Costa Rican bananas and they were fantastic. I can't imagine anything being better. On my end, I am riding the high of just finishing up a rewatch of season one of Ted Lasso. So I've been doing a lot of crying, a lot of laughing, a little bit of smiling, and a lot of just good vibes and good feels. And so I'm very excited. By this time, by the time this comes out, season two will have premiered. So let's hope it lives up to the same level that season one gave us, because it was a truly extraordinary show. Oh, it's gonna. There's no doubt about that. It's just like relentless positivity. Like you watch it and you want to feel bad, but then it's like, nah, there's a little lightheartedness at the end. Like even the even the heavy scenes are like positive. Oh, yeah. We do have a Munson coming to us from a road trip right now, so we're gonna go live to that here in a second. Do you touch my drum set? Nope. Seems like someone definitely touched my drum set. Yeah, that is weird, because I didn't touch him. Hey! Did you touch my drum set? Hey, knock it off! You fucking crazy man. You sound insane. Do you realize that? 
You should be medicated. Fuck you, Brennan. I know you touched my drum set, and I want to hear that dirty little mouth admit it. You get out of my face, or I'm going to roundhouse your ass. You swear in your mom's life that you didn't touch it then. I don't have to swear to shit. That's because you fucking touched my drum set. <laughs> Rigby's. Well, where are they driving right now? Where are the Rigby's at? Uh, they're, they're on their way back. They should be arriving right about now. I know he said they were getting a late start. And then um, it's just a season of vacations because Warren is also on vacation. So, But outside of that, you know, kind of the good vibes from Ted Lasso. We're going to ride the good vibes into episode 41 with a Munson's first. We have our first ever dual guest episode, knowing we were going to be down at least one, potentially two of our guys. We called in the reinforcements. And so we're happy to have two guests join us. This episode, we've got Corey Wallace making her long-awaited return to the Ooh. podcast, and Aubrey McKay. Yeah, welcome back, guys. Welcome. We need it. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. We need all the help we can get. If you haven't listened to previous episodes featuring these guests, just kind of give you a rundown. Corey Wallace is still a twelve-year-old latchkey kid with Beyond Basic Cable in an adult woman's body. She once set her alarm at 3 a.m. to get up and watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That's that's a move. It's a power move. Um, yeah, please don't tell her parents. Still to this day, we haven't told them yet. So I think (laughs) she only dates guys who watch at least three movies a week, loves a good deep dive or think piece and is a fan of this podcast. Of course, Corey previously joined us for the Natasha Leone episode, which to this day is still by far our most popular episode. We just eclipsed 600 downloads on that like last week. I think the closest one after that's like 280 Rami Malek episodes. So Corey is carrying a brand. And she works in marketing, so this all makes sense. So we're glad to have you back, Corey. Thank you. I'm glad I'm back. I just called you guys goobers on Twitter. I hope that's okay. I did not disclose much about pod, but I said I'm so happy to be back and taping. And I called you goobers. Just know that that's said with love. That's an that's accurate good. depiction. That's good. Term of endearment and accurate. I love it. This is true. <laughs> and then Aubrey lives in Lakeland, Florida, where he teaches high school history. He also writes about movies and TV with his wife on their blog, The post credit Scene. He was previously with us for the Chris Rock episode, which has a respectable 101 downloads. We're getting there. Ooh. You know, yeah. we're, we're moving on that one. But um, we're glad to have you both back. Should we be worried about eclipsing 600 with this episode? I sure hope so. That's why I got on. <laughs> I'm riding the wave that Corey's, but that she's brought about. <laughs> That's the goal. Yeah. We're all just riding our coattails, let's be honest. Well, let's dig into birthdays for July 29th. Aubrey, take it away. All right, so I'm subbing in doing birthdays, and man, did I, did I pick a great time to sub in for this. <laughs> there are some heavy hitters in the birthday category. And no, I did not have to Google both of them to make sure I knew who both of them were. But we'll start with Stephen Dorff from Blade, Immortals, and apparently True Detective. Oh, yeah. Season three. So how old is he? If you ask me to name a Stephen Dorff movie, like none come to mind immediately. There was one with Emile Hirsch that I watched for a previous episode that I actually kind of liked. Oh, wait, I don't, wait, is that, is that Deuces Wild? No, it was, that, it was the motel life with Dakota Fanning. That's what it was. I will go with, I think Stephen Dorff is 54. I think he just has an old face because a, a hard youth. And I'm going to go with, he's 45. Uh, I'm going to say the fact that none of us have any idea what we're talking about. I'm going to say 61. (laughs) I'm going to say that he's 51. 47. 
Ooh, I think that was me. Wasn't me. I know that. <laughs> I told you. Well, it only gets easier from here, guys. <laughs> Next up is documentarian Ken Burns. Mm. Too bad Rigby's not here. I've got this photo of Ken right in front of me. And based on this, I'm going to say I'm going to go 54 again. Oh. Feels right. I'm going to stick with my 61. He's got such a thick head of hair. It's just it throws you off. 48. 55. Oh, everyone shot under. He's 67. It's the hair, man. He's he's got a mop on his head. Case wins. All right. Good job, Aubrey. Appreciate you. I'm trying not to get confused that we're talking about Aubrey Plaza this entire episode. Yeah, that's going to get really challenging. So, but we'll, we'll dig through it. It's going to be fine. I assume that's why you guys have me on. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. That's the only reason, really. Needed an Aubrey. <laughs> yeah, you're in the Aubrey group chat. You're like, hey, we're talking about you today, Aubrey Plaza. It's like, oh, you got to hop on and cover for me, of course. When she like, increased her fame, that really helped me out. Because before that, it was just Drake stuff. Oh, that's right. It was only brought on for Drake stuff. <laughs> All right, so we got five actors that we threw onto the wheel. Those five were Ike Barinholtz, Michael Keaton, which seemed to be the podcast favorite last episode. Mary Steenbergen, Lakeith Stanfield, yeah, but none of those really matter because the wheel chose. We didn't choose, the guests didn't choose Corey, and, well, I guess Corey kind of chose, obviously, but it was after the wheel chose. It was after, and, yes, because the wheel decides, exactly. Kyle. Exactly. The wheel decides and guests decide who they want to join us for. And and it just happened to be Aubrey Plaza this time around. And so for before we start getting into her career and life, she's got about 80 credits on her IMDb, kind of a variety of things. She's done a lot of movies. She's got a lot of brief TV appearances, a lot of shorts that she's done, given her comedy background, and actually has quite a few recurring television characters as well. So for her short career, she's done quite a bit and a lot of diverse types of projects over the years. So looking forward to getting into it. But before we get too far, we always start with a little trivia. And let's see what James has cooked up for us this week. Aubrey, Corey, you guys are veterans, so you're aware of the game here. But for those of you listening who are new to the show, we are going to do two truths and a lie. And it is everyone's goal to guess which one of these is not a fact about Aubrey Plaza and is, in fact, about one of the many stars of the casts of the Fast and Furious franchises. So two of these are going to be about Aubrey Plaza. One will not be and will be about a member of Fast and Furious. Fact number one, she once stole directly from the vice president of the United States at the time, Joe Biden. Fact number two, (laughs) (laughs) she once served 48 hours of jail time before completing community service at a morgue. Fact number three, she turned down Ryan Gosling's advances once at a bar because she thought he was a fan. (laughs) (laughs) These are great. This is going to be impossible. (laughs) They'll all be true with her. That's why I choose them. Could be true with her. (laughs) So I think I've got it. The first two, I can't believe aren't true about her. So I'm going to go the lies number three, and that's Jordana Brewster, the star of Wild Speed Sky Mission. For those of us not living in Japan, know it is Fast and Furious (laughs) Seven. Wild Speed Sky Mission. I like that title too. I love it. Very cultured answers from Craig. Always. I think the second one is not true because that's the closest one that I would I would assume to being true. So I'm going to assume that that's the one that's not true as to who it might be. I don't know. I don't have any deep cut Fast and Furious guesses. So I'm going to say Tyrese because that's what I said last time. <laughs> safe guess is always Charlize Theron. That's the safest guess you can give. 
teacher test taking where it's like, I'm going to put the test on trial here and figure out which question doesn't sound right. Yeah, I love the move. <laughs> I think it was Aubrey who said number two. I'm going to go with that. I think Craig is right. I think the third one is not true. Oh, no. And this is where you guys are going to learn uh, that Ryan Gosling is a little bi-curious because that was actually Rob Cohen who played Pizza Hut delivery guy in the first Fast and Furious movie. But what's the most important, you might recognize the name Rob Cohen. He directed several movies, including Dragonheart, Stealth, and Dragon. So big director in the 90s and 2000s, but he also had a small uncredited role delivering pizzas in the first Assassin Furious. And I think Ryan Gosling was kind of into him. Anyone who directs Dragonheart is someone that I find attractive, so I totally understand where he's coming from. Everyone uniformly agrees that she absolutely stole from the vice president of the United States at that time and now the president of the United States, Joe Biden. And you guys are correct. When she was invited to the White House in 2012 with Parks and Rec's co-star Amy Poehler and Chris Pratt, uh, she was going to meet uh, Joe Biden. And Joe Biden's actually from Delaware. And so up until that point, Aubrey Plaza kept making a joke during all of her interviews uh, that she is the second most famous person from Delaware besides Joe Biden, since there is pretty much no one who's from Delaware who's famous. When she was there meeting with him, she spotted a piece of paper on his desk with her name on it full of talking points, and she stole it as a souvenir and has it framed at her place, which I think is a great thing to steal from the vice president. That's hilarious. That's really sweet. Yeah, it's like, oh, he wants to bring up this, be like, that's awesome, he prepared for me. I think that's very cool. Yeah. Fact number three is true. She turned down Ryan Gosling advances at a bar. The way she tells it is, I didn't recognize him. He said, I'm a big fan of your show. And I said, thank you. Like, are you an actor? And she was like kind of ordering a drink and not really paying attention. And he was like, yeah. And I asked his name. He said, Ryan. But none of it clicked because they were in a crowded bar. She's like, oh, we must have worked together or something. You look familiar. And he just kept smirking and she got her drink and left. And after the fact, it clicked. And she's like, God damn it, I missed my shot. He's like the hottest guy in Hollywood. She's like, what the hell just happened? She's like, I was just trying to not be hit on at a bar and I bailed. And then I was like, that's Ryan Gosling. The best part about that, James, is that's a great story for Ryan Gosling, too. Yeah, he's like, uh, cool. Like, I was trying to be nice, but whatever. <laughs> it's like she's very much like her characters on those shows, I guess. And you guys nailed it. Fact number two is not about Aubrey Plaza. Um, she did not serve 48 hours of jail time for uh, and complete community service at a morgue. That is actually about Michelle Rodriguez, who from 2002 oh. to 2007 was arrested four times. She was having a tough go of it with alcohol. Uh, it was a hit and run and a DUI on a suspended license. And she had to go to jail then do community service, and ended up getting almost like 200 hours of community service. It was a big issue. I think she's cleaned up, and so things are good now. But she she was going through a rough patch there. Damn. Almost said Michelle Rodriguez. <laughs> but a shout out to our two guests for getting it right this time. Yep. Yeah. Double trouble there. Didn't her and uh, Danny Trejo become close at about that time? Honestly, that would make sense since he's like all about prison reform. Yeah. And I could totally see that where it's like, hey, I made those mistakes at a young age too. If you clean up. You can do really well in this industry. And so I wouldn't be shocked if that he, if he reached out to her. Okay. Um, a snapshot in box office history. Interested to hear how she stacks up statistically, comparatively to the other actors we've covered. Case, what you got? Well, Aubrey Plaza definitely is not going to be one of the actors that we look at with high rankings 
in the uh, in her performances for box office. The most notable thing for her is that in the twenty that I was able to track, six of them had omitted budgets. And having done this now for over forty episodes, usually when people are omitting budgets on their uh, IMDb pages, it's usually because they end up losing a lot of money or they're independent films or were independently financed or whatever. And I have a feeling both of are very possible in Aubrey's case. That being said, there is something really interesting that jumps out when I'm looking at the numbers on her profile. She has an incredibly high IMDb rating for her star meter. She ends up coming in 12th overall in ours at 585. Whoa. But she has a really low fan ranking on her movies. And she comes in ranked 37th. And I was surprised her fan ranking averages out at 54.5%, which is way lower than I thought. And her critic rank is 61.2, which comes in 12th. And that's a lot higher than I thought it was going to be. She comes in 28th, comparing her with the other uh, actors and actresses we covered, which is probably where I would have guessed she would have landed. I'm shocked by the 12th. Yeah. My guess is that's that's tied a lot to Parks and Rec, and she's super recognizable. You know, she's got, like, the piercing stare, but with all the other names we've done, she's relatively young in her career. That's why it's a little shocking with the star ranking that, that hers is that high. She's uh, just behind Tucci and just ahead of Allison Janney. I think that makes a lot of sense. What you're saying is... I agree. Kyle, that she make choices for herself and her fan base is going to maybe come from Parks and Rec and be like, this is an April Ludgate. What is this? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that that, that might impact her fan ratings a little bit. So what I'm hearing is that based on the numbers that the critics seem to like her stuff more than audiences, which kind of, I know critics do like her because she's weird and eclectic and we'll get into that. I'm definitely surprised the audience meter is as low as you said it is. So fascinating. All right. Thanks, Case. You bet. Well, let's get into things. You know, I mentioned earlier, she's got about 80 credits, which for someone who has only been acting since 2006 or so, that's quite a bit for, for when we're talking about a career. So before we even get to the acting, though, one thing you'll notice about her is you do your, ba- your background research and learn about who she is. She's half Irish, half Puerto Rican. Her first job ever was at a convent. She was a receptionist at a convent which is interesting given her work in the little hours, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. And she <laughs> went to an all-girls Catholic school. Her early days, very much improv, sketch comedy, stand-up comedy. And she got her start with the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater um, in the early to mid-2000s. One interesting thing about her personal life is she actually had a mild stroke in 2004 that obviously she survived, but... I think was something that probably changed her perspective in some ways that, you know, she was pretty young at the time and having a stroke is not necessarily part of your life plans at that moment. That actually took place when she was taking a uh, improv comedy class at uh, NYU's like art school and it left her par- uh, temporarily paralyzed and she had to go to extensive speech therapy and like in- for anxiety attacks because that does not happen to 20-year-olds, so no yeah. one really knew what was happening, and that is terrifying to think of. So good to see she recovered from it. i got to tell you, at Tish, the school she got accepted to is one of the most difficult conservatories in the country, and they probably did think, this is brilliant, get her. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's that type of place where like everything is art. I didn't know until researching this episode that she got into Tish. And part of me was like, well, damn, I'd give anybody a seizure. It's like winning the lottery. <laughs> yeah. The joke I saw from Brian Tyree Henry in an interview was, so you went to Tish. Would you consider yourself a hipster? And so I, I felt like I got a sense of the school that she was in. So her first official IMDb credit role was in the, the project Kill Switch. She played Girl with Massive Head Wound in a 2006 short. Couldn't find that one, but if you dig it up online somewhere, definitely tag us in that for our listening audience. But the first, I guess, big role, a very brief appearance in 30 Rock in 2006. And then her kind of her first big recurring role was in the Jeannie Tate show from 07 to 08 and was in a number of episodes of that. All that kind of early comedic, smaller roles led to her appearance in what we're calling her first feature film. And I think it, in this case, it actually is pretty truly a first feature film. And that's Mystery Team in 09. And Aubrey is going to take this one for us. So, yeah, Mystery Team was created by Derek Comedy in 2009, which this was my introduction to those guys. It was the feature film debuts of several actors, but most notably Ellie Kemper, Ben Schwartz and Aubrey Plaza premiered at Sundance in 09. And it's about three high school friends that call themselves the mystery team and solve neighborhood crimes. And by crimes, I don't actually mean crimes. They kind of try and solve childish problems like who sticks their fingers in a pie that's cooling on a window and stuff like that. The friends are played by Donald Glover, DC Pearson and Dominic Derricks. They get paid a dime by a girl to solve her parents' murder. The best way I can describe this movie, the word for it is silly. From the opening seconds, I was like, this is going to be unlike anything I've ever seen. (laughs) It's a silly premise. And as the movie goes, it just gets more and more silly. Like That seems to be what they want. They kind of just lean into it. But with the talent that's kind of behind this, which you can clearly see throughout the movie, that there's talented, funny people behind it. It's not bad. It's okay. I don't love it. It wasn't the best thing I saw, but it's not bad. Not everything works. There's some funny bits. Some of it goes too far. And I think the mystery actually at the core of this was legitimately interesting, which I thought was a surprise because I actually cared about like who committed the crime, which to me is a mark of a good movie like this. If they can make me actually care about who did it. I was shocked by what happened. (laughs) As for Plaza, she's great. I would view it as a departure from what we know her from. She pretty much plays it straight, and the comedy kind of bounces off of her. But she's pretty good. And considering it's her first performance, I was impressed. Yeah, I was excited to watch this because in college, I watched a lot of Derek comedy videos, which aligns well. This came out in 09, you know, 06 is when I started my freshman year and used to watch a lot of stuff. Like the self-defense one is my, one of my favorites to go back to. But I think it's good context before you walk in and you're like, oh, shit, that's Donald Glover. And... This is his roots as a comedian. So I think from that standpoint, seeing Aubrey Plaza out there, and it's kind of a it's kind of a cool little gem for people that kind of were paying attention to things in the mid to late 2000s. This movie, I thought, was going to be surprised by this movie. I was like, I, I can watch this like Christmas Eve with like my cousin. I thought it was cute. Yeah, it could have been much worse in t- terms of production quality. Like it could have looked like one of those kind of choppy YouTube videos that they made back in the day. Mm-hmm. So, I agree. I think it should it, be it, terrible. 
<laughs> I feel like it should be terrible. <laughs> like, even when I started it, I'm like, oh, this is going to be bad. I don't know how I'm going to do this. But it's it's surprisingly good. Honestly, I'm a huge fan of Donald Glover, so that helps. And it helps that yeah. he does a lot of the heavy lifting. Like, Yeah, yeah, he's the main, he's main character. Really he's entertaining. The man is talented, for sure. Yeah. To your point, Aubrey, very different than a lot of the other characters we see from Aubrey Press. Very much plays it straight, is not a, necessarily a comedic character, at least not directly. And so it's an interesting start to her feature film career, for sure. All right, so we got a couple years until our next review. And so between 2009 and 2012, you know, this is where her career starts to pick up a little bit. The next roles that we're going to cover are the role of April in Parks and Recreation, which uh, went for almost six, I believe it was six years. Daisy in Funny People, which is uh, kind of like a side character, and Scott Pilgrim vs. the World as Julie, who's like Scott Pilgrim's friend. And these are like her three probably most well-known roles. And she auditioned for them and interviewed for them all within the same week and got all of them in the same room. (laughs) The way she discusses it is like, I went from being like a waitress in Queens to being like famous in the blink of an eye, which is the dream for any actor who's getting into the business. Like, yeah, all I got to do is nail these auditions and I'm good to go. And it actually happened for her. Three times. Yeah, it happened all in one week. And so that is, that's the first time I've seen that happen. It's pretty bananas when you think about it. Most people are lucky to get one break. She does a Derek comedy picture, and next thing you know, she's got three like career changing roles for her, which I think is pretty cool. Yep. So let's dig into them a little bit. Parks and Rec. She's there with our boy Chris Pratt, who we covered in episode four, which seems like forever ago. Husband and wife in the, the show, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Their relationship is like so silly and funny, and they play so well off of each other. Anytime those two characters are on screen, it is funny because it it never progresses the plot at all and always takes it off on some sort of tangent. But it is very much playing into their strengths where Chris Pratt is this kind of lovable idiot and she is this very sarcastic and deadpan yet goes out of her way to be odd. And so they play so well off of each other. And I just always found April Ludgate to be such an endearing character because she just kind of calls out the bullshit of like office life. And so she like purposely sabotages the office and her boss loves it because he doesn't want to do any work either. And so I always enjoyed her in that role. Endearing is such a good word for her character. Parks and Rec is one of my favorite TV shows of all time. I talk about the show all the time mm-hmm. and her character speaks to one of the things I think that show does so good and it nails the emotional beats because the characters in that show are so strong. Mm-hmm. She is this deadpan, dry, you know, doesn't seem to care about anything, but that makes the moments when she does kind of come out of that a little bit emotionally, especially with Ron, those land so much better because one, she's really good, but two, like that character is played out so well. Like it's a it's a great character. So UCB introduced her to Oswald. And you see it in all of the work that she does. If you look at the cast that we're getting ready to review, kind of hint at, talk about, talk around, she picks strong groups. She she picks people that can play off of her yep. and that she can find like comedy beats that nobody else is going to hit. And I think Parks and Rec is a great example of that. I also love the fact that the character arc of April Ludgate is believable and also is a long, long arc. She changes a lot mm-hmm. from the beginning where she's like an intern who doesn't care to somebody who 
turns into her own version you know really cares about the world around her and wants to make a difference I think her character speaks to a generation of people that are, that really relate to that kind of feeling. Mm-hmm. That feeling of like, I don't care about these things that everyone has always done and everyone has always wanted me to do. I don't want to be like that. I want to kind of carve my own path. Her character speaks to that generation of people. Like I identify with her, with that character because of that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why that character becomes so iconic. Why people love that one and are able to pick that one out. Love it. Totally agree. But big role for her early in her career. I think to this day, she's probably most recognized for this still, despite doing some really successful stuff, especially the past three or four years, which we'll talk about. But to James's comment, this, the second one of those three roles was her role as Daisy in Funny People. I don't know how much acting she was actually doing versus just like being herself as the deadpan comedian there. Upon rewatching it, I forgot how often I quoted Aubrey Plaza's character when... Seth Rogen is hitting on her and it like hits a lull in the conversation. And he's like, do you like music? And she just calls him out immediately. And was like, do I like music? That's like asking me if I like food. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> Has anyone ever answered no to that question? <laughs> so, so like straight to the point and like blunt and aggressive, but still funny. Jed Apatow tricked her into going on stage and, and performing. And she had to follow Adam Sandler. And as Sandler was coming off stage, he was talking shit to her, and it made her even more nervous. <laughs> Put a funny story behind that. That's a very L.A. movie. Yeah. One of the things that she was about was, like, she clearly was East Coast yeah. for her formative year. Went to school at Tisch, moved to L.A. to work. It's never lost on me that she's great at retaining that really, I mean, like, forthright fish out of water character uh-huh. in anything that references Hollywood, LA, the industry, anything like that. Even when she's on talk shows and she's playing, you know, herself, she's herself. She is so obviously uncomfortable and trying to subvert expectations around her work. Yep. The funniest scene to me by far is not from a comedic actor. It's when Eminem tells Ray Romano to go fuck himself. That yes. fucking yes. kills me every time. <laughs> Screaming at him from across the bar. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, these fucking people just won't leave me alone. Oh, it's Ray Romano. And then a year later, again, another very iconic role for her in one of my favorite movies, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. The first thing you see on screen is it shows her character as Julie and it says has issues in quotes, which I think is funny. <laughs> it's not a huge role. But she plays the the character who's basically telling um, Scott Pilgrim not to date uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character the entire time. And, you know, not a huge role, but in a really good, well-recognized movie. So it was fun early on 2010. I mean, just in some killer roles back to back to back. Do you know that famous picture of Michael Sarah where he's at like a friendlies and he's got an ice cream sundae in front of him and it's like. 10, 12-year-old girls sitting behind him taking a picture of him, but they're not with him. So it's just like this 100-pound man surrounded by 12-year-old girls. Do you know the photo I'm talking about? Aubrey Plaza's in the picture. (laughs) Yes. She's sitting next to him laughing at him because of how awkward he looks with all these like little girls taking a photo with him. They look like babies in this picture. Especially Michael Sarah. That is hilarious. I was just looking at it too. That picture is hilarious. Yo. <laughs> he looks so uncomfortable. He does. All right. So 2010 hits. 
She makes an appearance on the Bonnie Hunt show, and I appreciate any time we could talk about Bonnie Hunt because she's a lovely human. Heck yeah. Uh-huh. Love that episode. Go check that out, that episode if you get a chance with Laura Beneke. It's great. But 2011 is when she started dating Jeff Baina. It's important to note this because she's in three of his movies, and we'll hit those as we go along. He's the director of the movie Horse Girl. Yes, he is. If you've ever seen that movie and you've seen Aubrey Plaza, you kind of get a good feel for them as a couple. They're probably exactly how you expect them to be. Maybe they were having a tiff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 2011, she's in 10 years as a character named Olivia. Across, another crossover with Chris Pratt. We covered that. Uh, I think James did a full review of that back in the Chris Pratt episode. She plays the character whose husband used to date all the black girls in high school. It's such a funny recurring bit. Because she's so shocked every time. She's like, how come you didn't tell me this? She's like, I have to tell you everything about my ex-girlfriends. <laughs> doesn't he dance all the time? Well, he raps and dances, but she doesn't know any of his dancing skills until that right. night when they go to the bar, like the karaoke bar. Ten years has got everything. It's got Oscar Isaac before he blew up. It's got Ari Grainer, my girl Ari Grainer, who I'm obsessed with. It's got Chris Pratt in it. It's got Justin Long in it. Mackie. Yes, it has a little bit of everything. It's Max Minghella. Max Minghella plays Justin Long's best friend. Um, it's got twist relationships. It's got plays on old school beefs from high school. It is silly. You can get through it in an afternoon and never think about it again. But dang, when you're sitting there and you're listening to Oscar Isaac sing a song like John Mayer, you're thinking to yourself, this is a good movie. And then it ends just when you're like, okay, I've had enough. Yeah. Highly recommend it. I think my complaint the first time we covered it was the fact that everybody's attractive and that's not nearly realistic for high school reunions. Yeah. Um, Channing never. Literally everybody's hot. You know what I mean? And it's like, come on, this isn't real. This was one of the bigger surprises for me watching it because I didn't even know this movie existed until I started doing stuff for this. And this was a big surprise for me. I was blown away by everybody, but it captures a really specific kind of time period. You know, that mm-hmm. after you're out of high school, but you're not really fully like mm-hmm. away from it yet, mm-hmm. you can still kind of see it. It captures that kind of time period, that angst, that almost fear. It captures all of that really well. I was I was impressed. I like the movie a lot. Ten years. Check it out. It's on Tubi. It's on I think it's on some other services, too. But same year, she voiced the character of Sachiko in From Up on Poppy Hill, a Studio Ghibli film, which is pretty cool. That's a good thing to have on your resume. And then finally, she's in three episodes of Portlandia as a character named Beth between 11 and 12. And that leads us to uh, her role in her highest critic score, which is Safety Not Guaranteed. And James has it. So I had actually never heard of this movie until this podcast. And that is probably because it is a tiny indie flick. So this movie had a total budget of only Mm $750,000. How much it made on that, it's all profit because everyone here did this for the love of the game. (laughs) So this movie has a 91 critic score, 80 audience on Rotten Tomatoes. So really highly scored. And it's super fascinating because of what it's based off of is actually a true story up to a certain point. In September 1997 issue of Backwoods Home, don't know what that is, the editor wrote a joke ad as a filler for the magazine's classified ad section. And it said, quote, wanted someone to go back in time with me. This is not a joke. P.O. Box, insert address. 
You'll get paid after we get back. Must bring your own weapons. Safety not guaranteed. I have only done this once before. That is what the editor of that magazine put in there as a joke. The magazine featured many fake personal ads and the same post box office, which is actually the senior editor's, their post mailing address. And what happened was that ad became kind of like a cultural phenomenon. And they received thousands of letters in response to the time travel ad. That story was taken and they made a movie out of it as kind of the inspiration. And so that is what this is based off of. And so three magazine employees head on an assignment to interview a guy who had placed that classified ad seeking for a companion in time travel. Aubrey Plaza plays like a listless 20-something intern from the Seattle Magazine who's trying to track down an absolute wildcat uh, who would place a ad like that. It's an oddball amateur scientist who looks at, who the entire time is teetering on unhinged or brilliant, which is played by Mark Duplass, who I feel like is like great at that. Like he did it in Creep. Yes. He does it in this. Like he is really good at like, hey, is this guy all there? And um, and as someone who was introduced to me from the league where it was like fully guys guy, you know, football jokes, to see how creative he is is always so impressive. And then my doppelganger, Jake Johnson, who is by far the actor I get told I look the most like. But he's great in that movie as well, where he plays uh, Plaza's co-worker, who's a genuine person, but he's like an asshole. And he's trying to better himself. And he's kind of using this as a way for him and the interns to go and get fucked up for a weekend while writing a funny story about a crazy person. But him and Plaza's relationship keep the story grounded the way I would describe this movie is it's like a sci-fi rom-com where yeah. you can't tell where it, like if it's real or not. But what you can tell is the jokes are funny. It is a small, intimate setting. It's nuanced. It's kind of engaging and romantic, but still kind of fluffy. And then it doesn't really overplay the quirkiness of it. And the whole time you're watching and you're like... All right, he's he definitely seems like he's insane. It's like, but man, that joke's funny. Oh, these kind of seem like they're vibing pretty well. And it it's cool how it plays out. I won't spoil it for you, but I was pleasantly surprised by this movie and I would highly suggest checking it out because it's only like an hour and a half. And if you're in the mood for a super unique indie film that is going based off of someone who is looking for people to time travel with them, it is enjoyable, it's grounded, and it's got some heart. That's a great review. It is good. I think Aubrey does a very good job. I, I would liken it to kind of her role in similar to Beverly Loughlin, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But I didn't have terribly high expectations on the front end. And by the end, I was like, okay, I get why this is her highest critics for. James, to answer your question, it world grossed $4.4 million, which is pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. It had to have been a passion project because when I saw the total budget was seven hundred and fifty k, and with how well it is filmed... I was like, wow, they must be cr- like this had to be filmed in a week, like for them to meet those numbers. Definitely check that out. Good Aubrey Plaza role and definitely an underrated flick out there. It's available on Netflix, which mm-hmm. I think most of our listeners probably have access to. But I want to keep us moving because we got a lot more to hit. The next four years, first and foremost, she made three different appearances on Drunk History, which I'm always a fan of an actor who shows up on Drunk History, especially more than once. And she plays three very different characters, and you can judge accordingly. She played Cleopatra, 
Aaron Burr and Sacagawea? <laughs> That's a wonderful trivia question that I will probably have on the Instagram this week. Of like, which of these four did she not play on Drug History? But then in 2013, she made an appearance on Marin. Yeah, I was surprised that the Marin show didn't have a longer shelf life. And I'm surprised she didn't have a bigger role in it because her comedic style and Mark Marin's comedic style are a perfect match. Very entertaining TV. Dry, dry, sarcasm, sarcasm, those two combined. Yeah. It's probably why they haven't worked together more. It's like a supernova of sarcasm. <laughs> that same year, she works again with Bonnie Hunt. She was in Monsters U. She played the Greek council president. So for us Greek folks on the call and the those that aren't with us. It's a voice role. It's not a huge role, but a voice role nonetheless in the uh, the Pixar universe. So, again, that's a good little notch for her in her career. She mentioned that the role was easy for her because she was always in leadership positions in high school. And she likens it to the fact that she's intimidating. She's like, I'm funny, but I'm also intimidating. So women voted for me for everything because I think they thought I could like beat them up. So being a Greek council president, she's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. She's like, I've been student body president my whole life. Well, that also reminds me of a story I heard from Anna Kendrick, where Anna Kendrick took Aubrey with her to buy a new car to negotiate for. Her. And apparently Anna said that Aubrey just intimidated the guy the whole time to where he, <laughs> he finally folded and gave him a good deal on a car. I'm not shocked. 2013, 2014, she was in The Legend of Korra as Eska. So doing some more voice work there. And then followed it up with her character Brandy in The To-Do List. I love this movie. So this is, I saw this movie a few years ago. Uh, kind of randomly. I just kind of watched it on a whim and loved it then. So re-watching it this time, I liked it even more, but mainly it's because of what she's able to do. Like looking at it from just kind of analyzing her career, I think this role says a lot about the talent that she has. Yeah. Because she's carrying a comedy alongside some really funny people. Mm-hmm. I loved watching this movie again. This is the one off the list. I would recommend this to almost anybody. I think this movie's great they have a stomach for a certain type of humor. To me, I look at her career and I go, this is when I look at and point at specifically and go, she has a really bright future because of this movie and what she was able Damn. to do in it. I wish I would have saw it. Damn. Yeah. It's really funny. And she's going like, she's going head up with Bill Hader, mm-hmm. like Donald Glover's in this. Like, oh yeah, she is the takeaway from this, of this movie. Andy Samberg comes in for a hilarious little bit. And she's still the takeaway. Like, never once you lose the fact that this is that she's the star of the movie. Got it. Another great ensemble film. It's it, it's a period piece. It's set in the eighties, and so visually, it's really fun to look at. Love it. Well, speaking of love, a role that I really enjoyed from her was my first time watch of Life After Beth. She plays Beth. Her first of three Jeff Bana films. So the guy that we mentioned, she started dating in 2011. This is an A24 film, which I didn't know about until I started watching the opening credits. Again, ensemble, strong cast. You've got John C. Riley, Molly Shannon. You've got Anna Kendrick, Dane DeHaan. And she plays a zombie. Well, she slowly becomes a very strong and very horny zombie. And if that sounds intriguing, it is. Because she sells it and goes all in on this zombie character and... I love the choices that they they made in this. This was my first time watching this one, too. I was a fan. I really like what she's doing, obviously. I think Anna Kendrick was really good in it. I didn't love it probably as much as you did. But it's a good watch. It's a lot of fun. I think it's a different take on zombie movies, which is always welcome. Mm-hmm. Just not watching the same thing over and over again. Her particularly, she got to flex a muscle that's a little bit different than anything that I'd seen her do up to that point. There are a lot of physical acting here of... 
playing the zombie character. And there's definitely no humanity to to it beyond a certain point. But that takes a particular skill set to sell the zombie, especially a horny slash very strong zombie, which I thought was an interesting angle. She makes such a weird thing work. Like that's yeah. it's really impressive. Like it's it's such a weird idea and she makes it work and she makes it funny. Same year, she plays a character named Sarah in About Alex, a big chill type of film that they certainly make a meta joke about at one point. I know Corey's got thoughts on this one. She she's definitely a background character in this movie. I, I think that this is an example of like she really does work with her friends. Like if you look at like the amount of movies she's been in, Adam Pally, it's like five or six. I mean, the Venn diagram of this person is Upright Citizens Brigade and then like everybody who surrounds that universe. Yep. So that's where you get like your Glovers. That's where you get your Adam Pallies. That's where you get your Alia Shawkats. That's where you get, I mean, so much of that is rooted in her background in, in improv. And about Alex is kind of the dramatic version of that, where I think somebody called her up and said, hey, we've got a role for you. We know you know like three of these people. Do you want to come and film this over three weeks in the Adam Bax or wherever it was that they filmed it? Yeah, it's a heavy watch. It's a really heavy watch. To be honest, I didn't finish it. Yeah. Part of it was uh, watched on Pluto TV and Pluto is really challenging for like going back to where you left off without you having to fast mm-hmm. forward and then deal with ads. So this is me shredding Pluto publicly. Get a better setup so I can start resume. 2014's Playing It Cool is terribly rated for critics and audiences. And I think it should get better credit than it gets. It features Michelle Monaghan looking like a snack. Chris Evans looking like a snack. <laughs> and y- yes, Aubrey Plaza plays a character in the movie, but it's not really about her character. It's about Chris Evans figuring out love. And I get it can be cliched, but I found some enjoyment in it. We don't need to spend much time on it, but if anybody has a hard agree or disagree, feel free to pop it in before we keep going. I have a hard disagree. (laughs) I know. I'll say what I say. Anytime someone asks me if I watched a movie that they loved, it's like, hey, did you see the new Space Jam? I loved it. I'll say, I'm glad you found enjoyment in it. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not going to disagree with you on Space Jam. I'll put it that way. Um, But she plays a writer in that movie, but a smaller one comparatively to some of the other things we've covered. And then finally, Addicted to Fresno which is a crossover that we covered with Corey previously on the Natasha Leone episode mm-hmm. where her and Natasha Leone have a, have a little bit of flame, a little romance going on in the first of a couple roles where she plays an LGBT character, which is kind of cool. It will get to a larger theme when we get to the end of her career. I thought she was good in this. Yes. A little bit that she was in there. I thought she was really good. Different type of character doing something a little bit different, different tone for her character, which I liked. I didn't really love the movie all that much thought my takeaway was that it was interesting watching judy greer do something wildly different from anything i thought i'd ever see her do yeah Mm -hmm. that was cool that was about it but i thought this was a good showcase for her though yep aubrey plaza was pretty good in this well let's get to the the feature that everyone really came for and that's we're here to talk a little bit about lowest critic score and Corey, being the regular guest munson on this you know generally would take my review and in this case, I would have covered lowest critic score. So I'm giving a shout out to Corey for stepping in to review Dirty Grandpa from 2016. How lucky are you, Corey? How lucky? There this is what she signed up for. people who said this is the worst movie they've ever seen. <laughs> and so what I aim to do is subvert that. 
the title of this film is, write this down because it's, it's brilliant. Lose your way. Find your manhood. And that, that's about as deep as this movie gets. Now, what I will tell you is that this film, it's not as bad as you might think. It's not as bad as Bad Brain, which is the jackass presents Bad Brain. So if you want to look at, like, Aubrey Plaza plays Lenore. She is consistent throughout the film. I think this movie is funny. After watching the interviews to try to like get the rationale for her being in this film, other than Bobby De Niro playing the lead, I think she's low-key delighted to be in this movie. I think she thinks it's funny. I was trying to find a goal for her in this in this movie, and she flat out says she wanted to make the dynamic between her and Robert De Niro work without being disgusting. So she wanted to make their characters go toe-to-toe and honestly function as soulmates so they could be raunchy together. And I thought, you know what? That, again, is very improv. It's very, like, never say no, always say yes. Always meet your acting partner right with the tone that they're at. And I don't know that anybody else could have pulled this on. I think she, I think she's funny in this role. I don't want to say I like this movie, guys, but I really pleasantly <laughs> surprised. No shame. no shame. I promise you, I've I've, I've liked that. worse. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's the rundown on Dirty Grandpa. I saw one of her jokes she made at an award show where she said she was talking to Paul Schrader and said, we both had the chance to work with Bob De Niro. One of us in a, a cinematic classic that changed cinema forever and the other one in a movie about a taxi driver. I didn't see it, so I don't know. And I thought that was really funny. I read that De Niro was legitimately nervous when he first met her because of what the script was calling for. And when he saw her in Parks and Rec, he's like, oh, wow, she's... Just intimidating. <laughs> this is exactly what was going to happen. And to hear that from Robert De Niro, who everyone would say is intimidating, it speaks highly of kind of her persona. Very accurate. I really respect what this podcast has just done over these last couple minutes. <laughs> you guys have made this movie sound like it is something that people should watch, and I respect that. No, I, I, I'm not going to take that away. I'm not going to take that away. <laughs> people, if you like what you heard from that review, which was really good. Aww, thanks, We're not here to yuck anyone's yum. <laughs> We're not yucking anyone's yum. I think that was a really good review because I try really hard to make things sound palatable to other people. And you did a great job with that. All I'm going to say is this movie lost me when Robert De Niro was rapping Ice Cube today was a good day. Oh. And it really lost me when he said the N word. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Words. I don't know. I totally. All right. So I haven't even seen this movie and I can't tell if what you just said was a joke or not. I can't tell that he actually. Really, he really raps today was a good day. Yes, he did. Yeah, for real. You know, out of context, that might sound not. No, I'm just fucking with you. It sounds terrible. <laughs> That's where the movie lost oh, me. Man. I respect that somebody might watch this movie because of how this was talked about. I respect that. Corey, thanks for taking one for the team. Lowest critic score is never fun, especially when it's Dirty Grandpa. So, you know. <laughs> 2016, there's a documentary available on Tubi and probably some other places called The Pistol Shrimps. And she plays herself. It is a documentary about the 
women's basketball rec league in the LA area. And she plays on a team called the pistol shrimps, which is a really weird creature. That's very violent and shoots like a sound wave. That's like a pistol. I think it's like one of the most dangerous <laughs> creatures. I remember that. It's a very dangerous. I remember that video going viral not uh, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. Actually, that's probably when they named the team. That makes sense. I connected a lot with this, her role in this documentary because much like me, she tore her ACL playing rec league sports and has had to deal with the ramifications of it. Again, I wasn't cheating and I didn't have a wig on and with goggles playing for her sister's team. You weren't playing incognito is what you're saying. That's true. Can you imagine how embarrassing it is for her that like you go and you dress in like a costume and get fucked up like Irma. being bad at basketball when I'm wearing basketball gear is embarrassing. Imagine if I'm wearing a costume and I tear my knee like uh, that would be it for me. I would never play the sport ever. She again. shouldn't have abandoned her team. It's karma. Yeah. That's what happens. So who else saw the pistol shrimps and has thoughts? I, I think Aubrey did. I know that. I did. I love this movie. People, please watch this movie. I love this movie so much. It's like an hour and ten minutes. It's super short. It's one of the first ones I watched, and I was just like, this might be the best thing I watched this whole time. I <laughs> absolutely adore this documentary. And part of it is because I have no idea if it's real. I don't care. The whole documentary takes like her comedic tone. It seems like everyone is in on the bit. And so if this wasn't real, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, 100%. Could be a mockumentary. I love that. I just love that, like, it's such a ridiculous kind of idea. And they they all talk about it as if it's this really ridiculous thing. But what really took it to the next level for me is that this kind of is ended with a really, like, a heartfelt kind of sweet core to it. Mm -hmm. And it was just about these women getting together and building friendships and being who they are and, you know, you know, coming together in a community in a way that I found to be really endearing and and dope. It's a great documentary. Like I'm probably gonna get a pistol shrimp shirt. <laughs> I'm in love with this movie. So I'm, I'm gonna follow this. Here's I'm here's done. to hoping. There's a podcast. You know this. We can listen to the podcast. I'm going to. <laughs> Wait, what's the podcast called? It's like it's pistol shrimps. Really. Yeah. It's probably just pistol shrimps. It's like one of the girl's husbands and his buddy, and they just do play by play. But by play by play, I mean they don't really talk much about the game. They just like make jokes and talk about other random stuff. So <laughs> at one point, they're like talking about regular stuff. They're like, hey, "Don't worry, guys. We'll update you if something happens." And then go back to talking about whatever. It's oh, literally it's be- called Pistol Shrimps Radio. Yeah profiles each each of like i think it's like six different women they profile who all come from really different backgrounds some are some are moms some are working models one all she does is uh photoshop herself into the bachelor and convince everybody that she's on the bachelor (laughs) and it's so funny what she did here's the tagline for pistol shrimps radio get the thrilling courtside action delivered straight to your ears by venerable Sports acknowledgers, Matt Gurley and Mark McConville. <laughs> Venerable sports <laughs> acknowledgers. <laughs> sports acknowledgers. They don't know anything about basketball. <laughs> they, don't, they don't know anything They acknowledge about basketball. it. All right, so a couple more in 2016. Um, she's in Joshi is Jen, a crossover with Allison Bree. She is in a, few, a bu- number of episodes of Criminal Minds. There's a character named Kat between 2016 and 2020, so very recently. Yeah, I, one of the episodes I watched it was really good of her because she played something completely different. She's playing a uh, 
essentially an assassin. Yeah, there's a little range there. Yeah. Different than what she's done. If anybody's a fan of that show, she's basically in about two thirds of the show going back and forth with the character Spencer Reed. Mm-hmm. He's known on that show to be like the weirdest person around. And so that seeing her not being the weirdest person at the table was a really fun change of pace and watching her stuff. 2016, I think, is when you start to see her take on some different types of roles. Not necessarily the one we're going to talk about here in a moment, the feature review, yeah. but some of the other ones. You could see her start to stretch her range a little bit because I think she, you notice from her interview, she gets tired of being labeled as just the deadpan comedian. And I think she's made some strategic moves to try some different stuff. Some good, some not so great. But then finally made an appearance uh, doing some voice work in SpongeBob SquarePants, which is awesome on the Nickelodeon side. Good for her. But that takes us to largest audience gap. 2016, and that is Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates, and Case is going to talk about it. Well, Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates is a 2016 comedy starring the aforementioned Zac Efron, Adam Levine, Anna Kendrick, and Aubrey Plaza. It's directed by Jake Szymanski, co-written by uh, Andrew J. Cohen and Brendan O'Brien. And those two have teamed up on multiple projects as a producer with Judd Apatow, and then they also wrote both of the Neighbors films. And The House, starring Will Ferrell. And once you kind of put those in, into context, this movie makes a lot of sense. The movie has a critic ranking of 38 and 51 for fans, making it the largest audience gap. And I think this is a pretty accurate ranking for this movie, because if you're a fan of any of the four main stars, like you're going into this waiting for them to do their thing, and they all do. But if you're sitting around watching it as a quote-unquote critic, I would probably agree with 40. But before I get into the synopsis of this movie, let's start with the fact that, much like safety not guaranteed, this is based on a true story. In real life, two brothers posted as a joke on Craigslist wanting dates for a wedding, and that went viral. And this movie starts out and basically follows that pretty accurately, all up until the two dates are picked. And then from there, it goes into more of a Hollywood script. This movie is exactly what you think it's going to be. Aubrey Plaza and Anna Kendrick play the two girls that they end up taking to Hawaii as their wedding dates. And they're exactly what we, we've seen them in other movies. I don't mind that either, because this is the type of movie where I, I kind of liked knowing what I was going to get out of all four of the main characters and, and comedically and, and watching the story go. Once Aubrey Plaza and Anna Kendrick trick the two brothers into having them as their dates, the movie just kind of goes into... Basically, one of the four of them constantly fucking up the entire wedding weekend in Hawaii. Aubrey Plaza, I thought was pretty good in this movie, is the ultimate manipulator who, frankly, doesn't give a shit about anything or anyone aside from her bestie, Anna Kendrick. And, you know, she's crude, awkward, over the top, pretty much what we've we've discussed already. She fits this role and really moves this story along pretty well. It was interesting to learn, however, that the studio decided while they were shooting that the ending scene of this movie needed to be a musical dance number. <laughs> and Plaza was not thrilled with that because she doesn't know how to sing and she doesn't know how to dance. And the studio basically forced her into it. And she's like, huh. I was basically sitting there crying, having to do this. And the studio is like, tough shit, you're doing it. If you haven't seen the movie, she pulls it off. And I never would have guessed that having seen the movie. Uh, her, her scene was pretty good at the end. I actually enjoyed this movie. I thought it was funny. It was light. It wasn't great, but it was, it was, you could put it on and laugh and 
it gets right to the point, but it's crazy that it's based on a true story. They ended up getting like 6,000 responses to that Craigslist ad. I agree, James. I thought it was a pretty fun movie to watch. Yeah. I would watch it again if it was on, that's for sure. The hallmark of a, I guess, good movie, I put in air quotes, is does it accomplish what it seeks to do? And it sounds like Mike and Wade, Dave, does that, right? Yeah, for sure. But it may not be your cup of tea, but does it accomplish its goal? And Mike and Dave does such a thing. Yeah. Let's get into the most recent stuff, and I think is some really interesting and exciting work from Aubrey Presley, because I think you're going to start to see some evolution of her career. First and foremost, maybe not much evolution here, but she's in The Little Hours, a movie we talked about with Alison Brie. She plays Fernanda. What Probably the, I guess, technically a witch in the movie, or at least a wannabe witch. Oh, spoiler. Sorry, guys. <laughs> and a very aggressive role that's might be the best way to describe it very aggressive i love this movie dude i thought she was great in it i enjoy this kind of sketch comedy feel that it kind of has it's that it definitely has a lot of like improvisation to it 100 i found it like super dry but yet hilarious drink blood what yeah fred armison when he says that he's like you think i'd ever ever be th- saying that when i was a bishop nope never thought i'd say that i was gonna make a joke that i felt like her part was written for her and I looked it up, and it's written by Jeff Baina. Yep, written and directed um, by her husband. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For her, literally. Yep. <laughs> Makes sense. 100%. Yeah, it's a fun one. Go check it out. So that same year, she starts her role on the show Legion as Lenny, which ran from 2017 to 2019. And I watched a little bit of that. And again, that role is perfect for her in terms of just being kind of the premise with Dan Stevens, who again, goes all in with everything he does, whether or not you like the output is a different story, plays another weird ass character and is completely fitting for who Aubrey Plaza is as a performer. She, I think is such, I mean, that's where you get to see her range. She literally turns into this chameleon character. Yes, it's the same name every time, but she shows up in a different way in like every episode, sometimes in a different way, two or three times during an episode. And then 2017, she's in Inger Goes Goes West, which is a movie I know Rigby loved because he sent me some notes on that. And let me tell you all, if you haven't seen Inger Goes West, The Cringe, it's a great movie, but it is so hard to watch. It's like watching a train wreck happen in in real time. Didn't she write and produce that as well? Yes, she did. She's phenomenal. Inger Goes West was when she really, I think, got a lot of financial backing. That movie... I watched that recently. I watched that just a few nights ago. I think I was re- I was kind of resisting watching it because I don't enjoy cringe drama. I don't like stalker stories. And spoiler alert, she plays a stalker, someone who is experiencing mental illness in a very real way. Yep. So I, I thought this movie is super smart. Elizabeth Olsen's in it. <laughs> Lizzie Olsen. Yeah. Lizzie Olsen. And she plays a great influencer that, that Ingrid kind of gloms onto. But I will also tell you, I think this is a redemption story. So I really appreciate that about it. It is cringe, but you do get you do, do get that resolved at the end. Yes. In a really nice way. I think it is very smart about how it criticizes the world of social media influencers and how vapid social media can be and how unhealthy it is to worry about likes and how many views you're getting. I think it's brilliant from that standpoint. And it is sold solely 
I mean, heavily from Aubrey Plaza's character as Ingrid. For those just tuning in, I want to congratulate Corey again on having the most downloads and likes of any episode of Munson's at the Movies. <laughs> it's not all about the likes and the downloads, but it kind of is. At the same time, I think this is her best performance. Uh, it might be her best performance. It's tough when we haven't talked about Black Bear yet, but it's it's definitely in that conversation. And I thought it was an yep. awards worthy type performance from her. I agree. She does a lot. It's really layered. It's really nuanced. And it showcases some of what I think is her best ability as an actor, what she can communicate kind of in her eyes and in her face. She does a lot there. Um, the next year, a movie we talked about on the Craig Robinson episode. A ve- speak, I mean, this might be the weirdest movie, weirdest role that she is in, and that's saying something. And that's an evening with Beverly Leflin, a movie where Craig Robinson grunts for three quarters of the movie, and then you find out why. And she is again. I would consider this a top five role for her. She is excellent in this. Yeah. The movie is led by her. It's driven through her character. And she has got Jermaine Clement's character hanging by a thread the whole movie. Emil Hirsch is off his rocker. And Craig Robinson is... I know when we did like best performances of Craig Robinson, this showed up as like number four. And I was the only person who had seen it. Has anyone closed the loop on watching An Evening with Beverly Laughlin. I did watch it. What do you think, Craig? I agree. I thought she was great in this. This is how I knew this movie was weird. She's, I felt like, one of the more normal characters in this movie. Accurate. (laughs) It was wild. Third in the movie is kind of when her character starts taking over, don't you think? Yeah, essentially when she leaves Emile Hirsch's character and heads on the run with Jermaine Clement. I'll circle back around. You guys will hear from me. Yes. (laughs) I want to hear from you. And Legion to the watch list. Can't wait. Yep. But speaking of range, again, she's never a big horror fan growing up, but she plays Karen in Child's Play 2019, the remake. Um, and not really a remake, but like the additional entry that is very different than the rest of the franchise. The reason I am well-versed in this is because I just joined Cam yeah. over in Jacked Up Review Show, and we did a full coverage of all eight Child's Play movies. So we talked about this one ad nauseum, and that it's, as long as you are okay with a different approach and a little, different screenwriting team it's okay and she plays a mother who's not comedic at all and it's a very different role for her plays with some pretty like heavy ideas doesn't uh yeah i mean it it plays around with technology like that's chucky's not a soul stealing doll he's someone who essentially it's like small soldiers like he learns how to be dangerous because his control his his control mechanism is taken out of his out of his body I can then play with the technology ideas. And I also like seeing her do something completely different. Yep. Yeah. Very, very unique for her in this role. 100%. I think the tone that the director was going for, I think she was a pretty good fit. 2019, she's also in a couple episodes of Crank Anchors. In one, she plays a witch, which I always enjoy Crank Anchors. So anytime an actor does at least one episode of Crank Anchors, I'm a fan. He does another great episode where she's a... <laughs> air traffic controller who's trying to complain to a balloon company who sold her helium and she's permanently talking with a high-pitched voice (laughs) (laughs) cool moment for her career in 2019 2020 back-to-back years she hosted the film independent spirit awards which again we've covered 41 actors we haven't covered a lot of actors who have hosted shows chris rock was the other big one who's hosted some shows but it's a testament to who she is as an awkward comedian to be able to stand up there and do it two years in a row in the film Independent Spirit Awards scene. So she's got a couple jokes I really enjoyed. The first one is from her first year, and she 
One, she makes a Nicolas Cage national treasure joke, which I really appreciated. Yeah, that was, I thought that was clever. That's very clever. She goes, see, you're a national treasure. Oh, you're in national treasure. Just kidding. But the, the funniest one is she talks about the favorite because it was the favorite was a big picture that year. Yorgos Lanthimos. And she goes, funny fact that people don't know. Yorgos Lanthimos is actually uh, a Harry Potter spell. All you do is go, Yorgos Lanthimos. Someone gets fingered in a corset. And I thought that was really funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> The other one was about J-Lo just coming off doing the Super Bowl. And she goes, J-Lo, you know, you just performed the Super Bowl two days ago. What were you doing, Mary-Kate, you lazy sack of shit? (laughs) (laughs) And it just came out of nowhere. And I was like, God, she's so good at this, man. In that one, she slid in a joke that was fucking hysterical because it was during the same weekend as the Academy Awards. And she's like, we're the the only award show that honors women directors. And everyone makes stands up and claps. And she goes, all two of them. (laughs) Bro, (laughs) fucking killed me. Because that was like a huge topic for discussion Mm -hmm. around the Academy Awards that year. Well, she did it two years in a row. Because the other one, she said, 60% of our nominees are women. And she goes, it's actually only three. But 60% makes it sound way scarier. And that's fun for me when I talk to my (laughs) uncle at Thanksgiving. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great line, dude. She is a... A really fun host. Her first year was kind of a little bit tame. The second year, she does a song and dance number, which when you said, Craig, that she was apprehensive about singing and dancing, she fully embraces it at the 2020 ISAs and is going all in on doing a little sing it song and dance in between her jokes. And it's it's pretty fun to watch. So That's hilarious. Scope those out on YouTube. What was her character's name in, uh, in uh, Parks and Rec? It was like something snake bitten or some shit oh, like janet janet snakehole, janet janet snakehole. Yeah. there you go yeah she talks like janet <laughs> snakehole all the time it's so funny all that goes up to largest critic gaps so our final main review and james is going to tackle this one and it is black bear 2020 debuted at sundance two years ago and is a batshit film and i'm really interested to see how james explains this for you all and for our audience <laughs> Black Bear, it's, uh, the critic gap here is 89% of critics liked it, 61% of audience. So that's actually a pretty large gap. When I watched this movie and then I tried to write up the synopsis, I just like could not comprehend what to put on paper to describe what I watched. So like, it, it's, it's a movie that the journey is definitely intentional. So, like, sharing it feels like I'm kind of undercutting what the director was going for. What he was going for, I'm not really sure still. I think it was a little too smart for me. Um, It's one of those, like, super artistic movies that is, like, really into itself and, like, knows it's super artistic. But I think it's a little too much for myself. That being said, the acting performances, top to bottom, are unbelievable. The way I would describe this movie is it's like a writer goes to a cabin and a couple that's like hosting like an Airbnb style cabin, like rents it out to artists because they're like trying to be hipsters, I guess. And then it immediately just gets into this super uncomfortable dialogue and every actor in it is just like portraying this toxic relationship and it's like an outgoing friendly couple where like you can tell they know each other's like rhythms and insecurities 
and like what initially was romantic is now like legit irritating and grating and they're airing that shit out in front of everybody. And so like, we've all been in those scenarios where you're like, Oh, I don't want to fucking be here. Like they're going to do this right here in front of us. And like, that's this first half of this movie. And like, I couldn't wrap my head around what I was watching, what was real, what wasn't real. And then it flips. And then it flips. It completely flips. Like it, it has this super dark moment. And then there's a part two and the part two is a completely different like interpretation of what I just saw. And in part two is where I think Aubrey Plaza like shines. So I don't really understand what part two was about. Um, so I won't try to get into describing it. But she is playing like this extremely talented actress who's also super emotionally fragile. And she is being like manipulated and so like you watch her performance and she is unbelievable in it and i say all that and i still don't really know what this movie was about and so like i'm impressed by the actors and actresses in it but like i don't really understand what the director was going for and so like i think it was enjoyable but i don't see myself watching that movie again if someone asked me like what is the main theme I don't know if I could give it to him, but I find that almost intriguing. It makes me like the movie even more because this makes me want to go back and watch it again. But when I look at it just from an Aubrey Plaza standpoint, what I loved about her performance there and why you know it's either that or Inger Goes West, in my opinion, is her best performance, is because I feel like this is almost like a mini arc of her career in this movie. Mm. First half, it's her being like relatively similar to how we know her she's kind of dry kind of funny kind of awkward and then the second half it completely turns and it's this really intense but dynamic acting performance like she really kills the second half of this movie chris rabbit's also excellent chris abbott and uh sarah what's her last name i don't i never know how to pronounce her last name i always want to say gadon but it's not yeah. it's something unique dude the way they interact with each other it was like I was like getting PTSD. I was like, oh my God, I've been around these people before. Like, I don't want to, uh, this is like, just break up with each other. Like just get it over with. Really uncomfortable. So I saw this at a midnight showing, I think like my fourth night at Sundance in 2020. And one, after a full day of watching movies, you're a little bit delirious, especially at a midnight showing. And it was in one of the smaller theaters, just a little bit outside Park City. And... <laughs> Usually at these premieres, you know, when you're not seeing it opening night, you're usually not getting the director. You usually get somebody else. Maybe it's an actor from the movie. Maybe it's an editor or whatever. The editor was the one who did the Q&A after. And it was the perfect person to have in the room for everybody that just sat there and were like, what the fuck did I just see? Like, I'm so confused. Absolutely. What I appreciated about him is that he didn't give you too much. He answered questions a little bit about the process, but he talked a little bit about the guy's vision and kind of what they had planned to get through. And he talked about the intentional shift in perspective between the first half and the second half. But he didn't give it, a, you know, he didn't give anybody any like interpretation of what they're supposed to take from it which I found to be refreshing. But even then, like, I'm not even entirely sure he knew as a, the editor what the hell he created for the world to see. <laughs> so it was fascinating. It was the perfect person to talk to. Craig, what, what you mentioned about how she was forced to do a musical number in Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates, and she, like, cried over it, that reminded me of Black Bear, where it was, like, 
in that second half, going to what you were saying, Aubrey, about how it's kind of maybe reflective of her career where they're intentionally like she's an emotional trauma and they're like, yeah, but this will be great for the scene. And like this woman's like falling apart and like, yeah, but look how realistic this looks. Use it. Yeah, use it. This will be great. It reminded me of that. She's just so tormented by what she's going through. Uh I fully imagine that everybody that's listened to this full review probably still has could not explain it to anyone else. So that's what's hilarious about this. You'll watch the movie and listen to this and then go, yeah, I still can't give you more detail than what I just shared. <laughs> I can tell you what happens in the movie and you won't know what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you're into those kind of things, check it out. It's not streaming free anywhere, so you have to pay for it. But I think it's worth a couple bucks to check it out if you're into those types of cinema experiences, right? Last couple roles we're going to mention. Most recently, she played a character Riley in Happiest Season, a movie that came out over the Christmas, like the holidays this past year. And she played a lesbian character in that. And it became kind of like a lesbian icon, like at like Twitter and Instagram. I'm sure TikTok was like losing their minds over how attractive Aubrey Plaza was as her lesbian character in this movie. And this the movie's pretty solid. Well, they were late to the game on that because... <laughs> She's been attractive for quite some time now. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it's not her first time. She did a short with Marissa Tomei, where she played a lesbian in 2013. We talked about she played the character in Addicted to Fresno. And, you know, I guess you could kind of make the case in some other ones. Uh, Little Hours, you could make the case that she played a character like that. So this isn't the first time, but certainly got put on a lot of people's radars for Happiest of Season. And then finally, I'll, I'll note, you know, she did a ton of shorts in her career. But most recently, she was in Hot Ones. And this is only the second actor we've covered who's been on Hot Ones. Mm. Does anybody know the other actor other than Case and Corey who was on Hot Ones? So this is for James and Aubrey. Brian Cranston. It was Brian Cranston. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it took me a second. Oh, so we got two. <laughs> Aubrey Plaza on there, and she handles it like a champ. She does very well. Uh, I would I would disagree. <laughs> I give anybody credit to get through it. Yes, she's like bleeding heat from her eyes. I get that. <laughs> she pours milk up her nose. She's, she's legit crying. She's doing so poorly. But she makes it to the end, though. She doesn't quit. I'll give her that. Sounds like a champion to me. All right. Well, that kind of takes us to the end. There's some other stuff in there. But again, for time, we're going to admit those. And if you felt like we missed a big role, tweet at us. Send us your hate mail. Uh, you can send your hate mail directly to Craig's house. He loves those things. He loves hate mail. Some call it fan mail. He loves it, though. We'll get you the address outside of this. Usually Rigby would do top performances, but he's not here. So Corey's going to step in and see if she can stump us on a top performance list that she dug up for, for Aubrey. Here's what I did. I used a list from Screen Rant that was published on January 31st, 2021. So it does include most of the films that we talked about today. And this is where you get to pick kind of what you think is her top rated movie. And I think there are some surprises on this list, so I'm looking forward to hearing kind of what you guys hit me with. So who wants to go first? Black Bear's got to be on there. Correct case. Black Bear is number 10. Happiest Season? Happiest Season is number 7. An Evening with Beverly Loughlin. Not on the list. You struck out. Uh-uh. Ooh. Safety Not Guaranteed. Safety Not Guaranteed is number 6. That's what I like to hear. Well deserved. Give me Life After Beth. The zombie film did not make an appearance on the list. <laughs> Balls. And they're all movies, right, Corey? They are not all movies. Oh, oh Parks and Rec, then. Gotta yeah. be Parks and Rec. Parks and Rec is number one. Yeah, no sense. no question. All right, give me Scott Pilgrim. Number four. <sighs> Thank you. Back on the board, baby. 
I'm gonna throw a wild card out there. Drunk history. Drunk history is not in. It's not rated. <laughs> to do list. To do list is not rated. Sadly, Aubrey, I'm sorry. Mm. This list is terrible. <laughs> That's usually what we tell Rigby every time. We usually put the lists on trial and then badmouth the websites. Uh, little Hours. Little Hours is not on there. Oh, you gotta go more general market films, people, and don't forget your voiceover work. Dirty Grandpa. Dirty, dirty Grandpa, as sad as I am to report, did not make the list. Oh, my God. What, what are we missing? What numbers? So you are missing eight, five, Three, two. Uh, give me funny people. Funny people's not on the list. Oh, wow. God. <laughs> All right, Monsters You. Monsters You is number five. Okay. My goodness. That's child's play. Not on the list. You guys are forgetting one of the things that, um, first of all, her first film debut was what? Mystery Team is on there? Mystery Team is number eight. <laughs> really? Good for her. Good for her. Wow. <laughs> Yes. Let's see what this person was trying to do with this list. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's coming together. Aubrey, I think you would appreciate what's on number three because I think you're the person who watched all of these episodes. Legion? Yeah, Legion. <laughs> yeah, Legion. Legion. There we go. Criminal Minds? I'm going to give you number two because it, you'll never get it. It's We didn't discuss it tonight. Okay. It's Legend of Korra, which oh, yeah. I, oh. I did not know is the sequel to The Last Airbender. It is. Yep. Oh, interesting. Which I don't even think she realized. I'm pretty confident she didn't even realize. Somebody asked her if you, she was in Last Airbender. She's like, no. And like, Aubrey, stop doing anything just on a paycheck. Learn the lore. <laughs> um, well, that's number two. It's a biggie. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Corey. We appreciate you doing that. Hey, picking up the slack a little bit for us. Let's get into the Munson meter. The way this works. Each one of us ranks the actor on a scale of 0 to 100 based on a variety of factors. Those factors could include longevity, project choice, or pop culture impact, their range, their awards footprint, any other talents they might have, kind of what their personal life is like, if they're a good person or not, comedic chops, box office success or lack thereof, and really anything else that matters to us. And with all that said, we're going to start this time with James. So I feel weird that I'm going first here because I was afraid I might be coming in on the lower end. Please don't adjust your scores if I'm lower than most of you guys. But when I originally thought of Aubrey Plaza and how much I like her, and I was going through her career and I was watching it, I realized I started making a lot of similar notes to a previous actress that I had reviewed in Alison Brie, Mm -hmm. where they kind of came in and were in very successful sitcoms and kind of had this like one note comedic presence, but it was still a presence and held their own. And that is while I was going through, I was like, I just can't give her higher than Alison Brie in my eyes because I, I see them so similarly in their career paths. They're super different as actresses. And so with Aubrey Plaza, you know, I originally fell in love with her for Parks and Rec. April Ludgate is an amazing character and I loved that show. And that was her bread and butter for a long time and for the majority of her career. I don't, I don't see a lot of range to start her very young career, but recently I've seen a ton. And it, I'm excited for the future and kind of where her career is going because it, it seems that she's self-aware that people kind of thought of her as one note. And she's purposely trying to get into 
very serious dramatic roles and going throughout the entire spectrum to show her range. And so I'm excited for that. Just the awards aren't there at the moment. The career is super young. So longevity, she's skyrocketing up. We saw that she's like 12th in star ranking. Absolutely. It's just, she's new to the game. Um, I'm excited for the future, but my score, once I went through this, had to be the same as I gave Allison Brie because I love Allison Brie as well. And so I gave her a 57. Nice. Well, I certainly enjoy Plaza and her quirkiness. However, it really does dig into her range, like James was talking about. And every time you see her come on the screen, you're like, here we go. This is going to be awkward. And after that, I started thinking about her a lot was Zach Galifianakis. And he had that same thing. The difference, though, is he was able to establish himself a lot more as a comedian before his acting career took off. And so then, you know, now you're looking at her trying to build an acting career. And I think she will. And, and I think a lot of people thought the same thing about Melissa McCarthy. Some of the things James has talked about is really holding her back in my evaluation. And finally, one of the things I want to bring up is, that, you know, there isn't an actor or actress that we've covered that could give less of a shit of a score that I'm going to give her. So I'm going to give her a 57. <laughs> That's amazing. That's true. All right, Corey, you're the first of the two guests up this week. I'm such a nerd in that I look at where actors train and where they built their toolbox and their fundamentals and kind of where they figured out who they are going to be. And I think her exposure at Tisch and again at UCB at Upright Citizens Brigade hopefully made her feel confident, even in a world where she knows she doesn't belong and certainly doesn't care about necessarily belonging, which is admirable. Yeah. She's a lot of integrity. Her roles are all over the place, but there's one through line and it's just, I'm going to make decisions based on what I think is funny and compelling and what I think I can kind of contribute to. That's why we have things like the little hours. That's why we have things like guy one, guy two need wedding dates, you know, like, yeah, we have a lot of choices there that are just rooted in. I can take a bite out of this. Like I can have fun with this. Let's do it. So for that reason, because I think she's brave and has a lot of integrity and her fundamentals are solid. She's just really, really strong. Um, I'm going to give her a 59. All right, Aubrey. I'm uncomfortable right now. (laughs) Hey, every score is valid, man. I'm going to start this with a compliment of this podcast. One reason why I love this podcast so much is because this is something that me and my wife do all the time. We just talk about actors' careers. Talk about the careers, how it resonates with people, how we hear people talk about them, how it fits, where we think that, you know, maybe we were wrong, we had misconceptions. We just love talking about actors' careers. And so when I... You know, and that's what makes this podcast so great is because we get to do that. And one of the things that I look at when I look at kind of scoring them is one, just straight up, like, can you go? Can this person act? And what I've noticed about Aubrey Plaza, at least when I hear people talk about her, uh, I hear conversations around her. Most people don't talk about how good she is at acting. Like, she's a great actor. I think that she, full stop, is just a great actor. And so I was thinking about this for a while, and I asked my wife a question, and I was just like, who do you think is a better actor? And this isn't to compare, to bring anyone down. It's just a comparison point to prove a larger point. And I was just like, who do you think is a better actor? Aubrey Plaza or Anna Kendrick? And very quickly, she was like, Anna Kendrick. I was like, okay, we'll think about that for a minute. Like, look at through everything Aubrey Plaza has done a lot closer than you think yeah and so when i look at scoring her 
people seem reluctant to talk about how great she is because she's so inaccessible as a person. Yep. She's awkward. And it seems like she enjoys kind of making people awkward. Like she gets, a, you know, that's her sense of humor. A lot of people don't like that. She's not super entertaining in like her. She's she's for a for a small group of people. Mm-hmm. I think she has a really small, passionate fan base of people who really like what she does and kind of how she carries herself. Yeah. And because she's inaccessible, I think it hurts way people view her career because i look at her and i go she's got in my mind two awards worthy performances in black bear and Ingrid goes west she's carried a comedy as a star mm-hmm. she's got wide range in, in the terms of topics that she covers and characters that she plays and how she plays them and she does a lot of different things she can work in an ensemble she can do she can carry things by herself she and she's hilarious she's got relevance because everyone knows who she is whether it be from Parks and Rec yeah. or Happiest Season. So she has two iconic performances within her short career. She doesn't have longevity or anything like that, but within that short career, she has two iconic performances. I look at this and I go, Aubrey Plaza is great. And what's even more intriguing is we haven't seen her best work yet. Absolutely. Great. Because now she seems to really be getting into her acting bag. Mm-hmm. So I've been really impressed with that. So I look at all of this and I'm just going to go ahead and give the positive score that seems way higher than I thought it was at the time. I feel like this is back to back times I've been on here and I've had the highest one, but I'm going to give her a 75. Nice. All scores are valid. Yes. Respectable. Very respectable. All right. Well, I'll follow you up with Rigby's score and then I'll finish out with mine. So Rigby sent, cause he did all the research for this. He just, you know, couldn't join because of scheduling. Uh, He said, she's absolutely hilarious and has great things ahead of her. Ingrid Goes West is a great movie and where I discovered that she can really act in addition to be being the awkward, funny actress in gross out comedies. Some really bad movies, but others kind of funny. And he gave her a 70. There you go, Aubrey. Nice. There you go. I love it. Rigby's up there with you. feel less awkward now. In my perspective, it was fun to learn learn a lot about Aubrey Plaza in this process. I think one, you learn she admires John Waters, which explains a lot about her craft and who she is as a person and as a performer. I love that she plays rec league basketball, despite her manager telling her not to do it. And it could be, you know, tough for her taking on jobs because she's got a torn ACL. And I also big fan of anybody who goes on hot wings. Cause that's, that's takes some bravery to do that. Yes. I appreciate that. She's trying to expand her range as an actress at this point in her career. You know, she started as something, you know, she, it rolls like Criminal Minds, Life After Bath, Child's Play, Black Bear, different than anything she's done previously. And I think you'll see you'll see some more of that going forward. And for a 15-year acting career, she's done a ton. There's not a ton of longevity there, but she's been very prolific and very busy during that time. But again, she takes huge hits in awards and a little acting range and things like that. But again, you know, if you follow this over time, I think her score would get better. I'm going to quote one thing from another piece from her ISA speech in 2019 is like look to score her comparatively to some other actors. I couldn't justify scoring her higher than Maya Rudolph. Couldn't really score higher than Gary Cole. And so I'm going to give her a solid 60, which I feel pretty comfortable about. And that is going to give Aubrey Plaza an average of 63. That's going to make Aubrey Plaza number 34. So that's going to put her right between Maya Rudolph and Gabe Byrne. Just less than Maya Rudolph, actually. Do you hear how freely our guests can give scores and how we are shackled by previous scores? Like, (laughs) the amount of score regret in this podcast is palpable. (laughs) 
you look back and you're like, oh, I think I was too high on this one. I was too low on that one. And then our guests come in and it's just, it's not a care in the world. Here's my score. <laughs> so, Craig, what did you say on the front end that she, what was her, she was 28th? 28th, yes. With all the metrics? A little bit lower at 34 instead of 28, but in the ballpark, at least. Yeah. Good job, all. I'm proud of us. Let's talk a little bit about what she's got coming soon. Aubrey, what'd you dig up? She's got a movie in 2021 called King Knight with Matthew Gray Gubler and Angela Safarian from Westworld. She's got a Guy Ritchie film in 2022 in January coming out with Jason Statham, Josh Hartnett, Hugh Grant. Uh, So that should be interesting. Yeah. That one to me is the most intriguing to see what she does in a Guy Ritchie film. Yeah. A different genre. Ark and the Aardvark, which is an animated movie that's supposed to come out in 2023, and I'm not excited about that one. It's got Craig Robinson in it, so we'll see another crossover. <laughs> uh, Spin Me Around, a Jeff Banna movie. I think that's how we decided to say his name. With Allison Brie and Debbie Ryan. It's been announced, but there's no date. Oh. There's another movie this year, bestsellers, that I don't think yeah. is released yet, but it's supposed to, I think, in September, with her and Michael Caine. Mm. Uh, that I'm really interested with. Interesting. So she's got some interesting stuff coming. Yeah. Some more along the lines of seeing her grow and some stuff that we're a little familiar with. We've covered some actors where you could look and see that their their score only look regressing over time. I think Aubrey Plaza's would only go up yeah. year after year. So feel pretty confident in that. For sure. So we got five actors that we're throwing under the wheel for the next episode. They are... And this is a spicy list. It's such a, it's just a very spicy list. Tim Curry, James Woods, Oliver Platt, Holly Hunter, and Andre Holland. What do we like? What do we dislike about that list? I want to cover Tim Curry because he was in my recurring nightmare for like eight years of my life. So I just need that therapy session here on the podcast to just get it away because him as Pennywise haunted me for a long time. Oh. I thought you meant Rocky Horror Picture Show. It was actually Rocky Horror Picture Show that helped, that helped me get over Pennywise. And I was like, oh, that's the actor. And it immediately gone forever. <laughs> immediately gone forever. I think he would be a lot of fun. James Woods would be fun because then we could just dunk on him. We just spend a whole hour fucking roasting James Woods. Yeah, he's a shit show off, off screen for sure. <laughs> I, I would love to talk about Scary Movie too. Again, <laughs> full support. I don't want you guys to talk about Andre Holland yet, but I do want to recommend people go watch his movies because he's a great actor. Yeah, I agree. Like that one needs to that one needs to sit for a minute. He's phenomenal in Moonlight. He was great. And what's the basketball movie that came out two years ago? Uh, High Flying Bird. High Flying Bird. He's great in that. He was in uh, Jackie Robinson, 42. Yeah. Yes, he's in 42. Yeah, he's, he's a great actor. Uh-huh. That one, got to circle back around and get him. Give him some more seasoning there. Oliver Platt would be fun. I think probably the most fun out of the group would probably be Platt because he's been in like just some campy, like like Placid and shit like that over the years. We talked about Beethoven and stuff like that. Like He's just a really interesting human that's been busy for a long time. Yes. Literally like 30 years. Yeah, seriously. Holly Hunter... I mean, she won the she won the Oscar. Amazing. She's great. And has that Southern drawl all the time. You got to love it. It's Mrs. Incredible. That's true. That's very true. Well, regardless of who it is, the wheel decides. We don't decide. 
Well, we've reached the end of our time together. We've got two guests, so we got to create some space for both of you all to share any plugs that you have, because we appreciate you being here. With Anytime we're down at least one month, and in this case, two, any help we can get is much appreciated. And so we brought in two studs, two stars this time. The floor is yours. We'll start with Corey. Any plugs or words of wisdom do you want to give to our audience? I'm still writing that movie, Babel. I just wrote a review for Zola just recently. So I'm doing a lot of my writing there. As far as my wife and uh, I's blog, the post-credit scene, we're kind of taking a break from that because I have some other things that we're working on that are a little, little bigger, dare I say, Yeah. Uh, coming down. So we took a little bit of a step back there, but I, I still have a lot of good work there that I think that we, we worked hard on to get stuff there. But really, I'm just writing reviews at Movie Babble, watching a lot of movies, and just waiting for the Munsons to call me for the Michelle Williams episode. <laughs> That's really it. I'll keep you on the short list. <laughs> having read some of Aubrey's stuff after the first episode he's a really talented writer uh, thanks I appreciate it follow me on Twitter AJMK24 <laughs> Corey um, I don't have anything to plug it's like being at the end of Hot Ones and they're like this game, this game, this <laughs> and most recently David Harbour was like what the fuck like I don't know what I'm just plugging <laughs> I'm going to plug Aubrey's blog. Movie Battle is awesome. I am loving being on podcasts about film. I'm not going to plug myself. I'm going to get a little hot take. I think that some of the best film critique that's happening right now is happening on TikTok. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Ooh, I like that. I've been following some incredible content creators who are smart, who are writing for people as diverse as Huffington Post, New York Times, are also, you know, just normal people who don't have a byline anywhere and are really offering incisive, really good thoughts on on some really great movies. So if you have not gotten on TikTok yet and you want a tutorial, hit me up on Twitter, Corin Wallace, and I will help you out. We appreciate you both being here. We will invite both yeah. of you back again. Yeah, thank you guys for jumping on again with us. It was fun. Yeah, this was awesome. Yep, guys. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate yeah, it. I loved it. Next podcast episode is going to hit August 12th. Our featured guest will be Jay Ledbetter from In Session Film. Pretty pumped about this. They do some great stuff at In Session, and we're excited to get one of their team members over to join us. So we'll be digging into someone from that list. Do In Session's dope. Yeah, In Session's big time. They do a lot of good stuff. So Jay's pumped about it. Happy to have him on board. And... We'll dig into one of those five actors I mentioned previously. So as always, you can catch us on Twitter, Munson's at Movies. You can find us on Instagram, Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from Aubrey Plaza? Fuck. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you all. <laughs> Sucks. <laughs> Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we? <laughs>